Hi, and welcome to the 19th Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is Women in Space. I'm going to be speaking with Emily Gravestock, Head of Satellite Applications at the UK Space Agency, who tells us how space technology is being applied in innovative new ways and how space touches all parts of our lives. She also shares the work she's doing in the agency to help young innovators on why you don't always necessarily need to have a STEM background to work in the sector. We'll also be hearing from Inesh Santos, Womanthology's Associate Editor, who's going to be talking us through the written stories in the new issue. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of the website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our new LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We've got Emily Gravestock, who is from the UK Space Agency, and she is head of satellite applications. Welcome, Emily. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to be great to be chatting with you. Your work looks fascinating. So let's delve straight into the questions, if that's okay. Please do. Wonderful. So, Emily, please, can you tell us about your educational experience and career to date? So I'm not your stereotypical person from the space sector because I have a degree in geography with theology from the University of Birmingham, which means that I know a little bit about some random stuff. But actually, my career in education to date has been all about following the fun. And I got lucky enough while I was at university to do an internship between years two and three of my university career with the civil service, where HM Revenue and Customs took me on. And lots of my university peers kind of went, what are you going to do with HM Revenue and Customs? But I spent a summer looking at the image rights of sports people and the taxation of that. And actually, that was fascinating to get under the bonnet of, of what goes on behind the taxation of sports people. And then at the end of that, they offered me a career. So I went into my third year at university in the very lucky position of having a job offer for when I finished. So I toddled off after university and uh, joined the civil service. And I spent a few years uh, on the civil service fast stream with HM Revenue and Customs, did some work with civil service West Midlands working across government, did some pieces around voice biometrics and uh, personal security and things like that in, in big tech things that we were doing in government at the time, which I really enjoyed. I went off, had maternity leave, had uh, twin boys and came back and and fancied a new challenge. So I looked around and got really excited because on the civil service job journal, there was the UK Space Agency. I didn't know we had a space agency at the time, but I read into it and the space agency was a few years old at that point and I couldn't think of anywhere more exciting to work. And so I applied for a couple of jobs with the UK Space Agency and was lucky enough to get one. And I've loved it so much that I've been here doing applications of space for the last five and a half years. 
And what that means is that I get to work with companies, work with the public, work across government to look at how we can use satellite and space in our day to day lives and really improve the uh, uptake of space services uh, all across the country and around the world. And it's been fascinating. And I really have followed the fun in that I enjoy what I do every single day, apart from when I'm doing corporate finance. But, you know, we'll live with the boring bits of the job, too. And we just get on with it. And every single day and every single week i'm coming across companies who are doing excellent stuff to improve the lives of people all around the world and in the uk and provide services that can do things ranging from healthcare to improving insurance products to improving sports events to reducing pesticide use to making banking work better and it's just a fantastic opportunity it's fascinating. I've been reading about some of the projects that you've been working on. So we'll delve into those uh, a little bit more in a minute, if that's OK. Sure. Could, could I just ask you in terms of COVID-19, so there's two kind of aspects to the COVID-19 question. So there's the, the practicalities of how that's been impacting on your work. But I think some of the projects that you've worked on, you've taken the learning from those to help out in the healthcare sector. Is that right? Absolutely. You might think what on earth has space got to do with healthcare, but we've been working with the NHS for the last three, four years now to look at how you can use satellite and space-based services to improve healthcare around the country. And when COVID came along, we had a conversation with NHS England to say, what can we do to help? And they said, anything. If you can do anything to help, please do. And we put that challenge out to the space sector and they came running and said, yes, we can do stuff. And so over the last 12 months, we've had some really exciting healthcare projects supporting COVID operations. For example, there are a couple of drone projects that we've been working with, looking at the delivery of pathology samples and PPE equipment and all sorts of things. One of the projects that's been going on in Scotland has been uh, linking up islands off the coast of Scotland with the mainland. And they've done work with pathology samples and saved over 5,000 hours of pathology sample waiting time. There are over 300 patients that have had improved healthcare outcomes because of the drone services. One patient had a test one afternoon and the results were with the lab um, an hour later and got the results from the lab because of the drone service and it was established he had a condition that was meant he was going to lose his eyesight and he started treatment immediately and the treatment was going to be delayed by 24 hours if they'd gone the traditional route. So the services that we've managed to implement because of COVID are, are actually saving people's sight and really improving people's lives. We've had others that are looking at how are people isolated and identifying people in the community or groups in the community that are isolated or have fuel poverty or have other additional needs that aren't being met. And some of those things you can see from space because, for example, during the winter, there are areas of properties or towns or regions that aren't being heated or whether traffic is massively reduced for whatever reason. And we've worked with third sector organisations, with local government and with individuals to help identify where needs that additional support and where needs that help. And the outcomes that have come from that have been truly excellent. I mean, COVID has been a really challenging 12, 18 months now for everybody for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that it has certainly done in the healthcare sector, from my perspective, is to make doors easier to open. People are willing to try new things if they can see that they're going to make a difference. And because of that, we've been able to access opportunities and get in front of people to say, actually, 
there's something that space can do to help you here in a way that would have been really challenging two years ago. And so the opportunities that it's given to improve patient outcomes by just pushing the boundaries slightly have been really exciting for me. So I suppose it's that collegiate approach that let's all come together. We've got this big problem and, and let's see what we can do, which is really rewarding, isn't it? When people coming together in that way. It is absolutely rewarding. And it's something that we've known within the sector for a while that this was possible. But actually to have the procurement mechanisms, to have the willingness to people to listen, to say, actually, this can do something that will help you is something that's really exciting because there have always been people within the healthcare setting, such as the Clinical Entrepreneurs Programme within the NHS England, for example, who have been willing to push those boundaries. But then where do you take it from there in terms of the procurement and the commercial routes? The other thing that has been really exceptional about COVID, and I'd like to say this, is that the UK Space Agency and government as a whole have been really supportive of people working in a very flexible manner with the homeschooling and with the other challenges that people have faced. I'm a single parent of seven-year-old twins and not once have I been criticised for the fact that my children have interrupted a meeting. Everybody has been welcoming and supportive and yes it's meant I've worked evenings while because I've spent time with my children during the day but everybody has respected that and I've been so impressed by the way that the sector as a whole have embraced the very flexible nature of working that is needed and the way that we have just been very supportive of each other across industry, academia and government to deliver these outcomes working together. Yeah, because I think previously there'd been a, a bit of a, a lag with that whole ability to to work remotely and this has just accelerated everything and there's that blend between work and home now having teams calls having zoom calls you're literally coming into people's homes so it's, mm. it's a bit of a cultural shift as well it's a huge cultural shift and there have been things that we've missed from the working from home scenario i do an awful lot of international work working with the european space agency working with the international charter for space and major disasters which looks at how we can use satellite imagery to help in the response and recovery to disasters working with eurasi another european organization we've really missed those corridor conversations and those chats with other delegations in the coffee breaks, for example, and in the margins of meetings, you can't replace those working from home. But the ability to have more frequent, shorter meetings with international colleagues in particular has been a revelation because I've got a very supportive family as well as supportive colleagues at work, which have enabled me to deliver international activities over the last few years and enabled me to go off to international meetings. But I haven't needed to go for the last 12 months and we've proved it is possible. And I hope looking to the future, we can come up with a kind of hybrid model which allows some of the meetings to be in person and some of them to continue to be uh, remote. Absolutely. I think with things like time differences, you have to be mindful. So it's taking the good bits, but also you can work with people really well because of the time differences and making use of those and turning things around. If you look at the, the whole picture, you can make it work better. 
I completely agree with you. One of the challenges we faced with the International um, Disaster Charter is that we work completely globally. So on the same call, you've got people from Australia and the United States, for example. And being in the UK, I'm very lucky because they put it from 11 till 2 in the middle of the day, for example, for me, because then you can incorporate people on both ends. The challenge you get, and we had one experience of it, is when a meeting overruns and suddenly you've got people in Malaysia who are still in the office at 2 o'clock in the morning because the meeting hasn't quite ended yet. And they're going, we really have to go home now and you do have to respect people's working times um, with that as well but I think we have been able and some of it is using space technologies to do these remote communications for example we've been able to come up with strategies and mechanisms of working which are delivering some really fantastic outcomes and brilliant ability for people whoever they are around the world to work in a way that suits them and We've become far more tolerant, I think, of people's different working patterns and their different working needs, dependent on culture, family situation, time zones, etc. I think it's quite exciting to see what will happen as we move forward. I agree. And in terms of space technologies, we've talked a little bit about the applications in the health sector. What are the sorts of sectors are we working with? Well, I don't know how much you know about space and how much you're using it in your day to day life, but let's just check off a few things for a moment. Have you listened to a DAB radio this morning or switched your kettle on? Perhaps. Yes. Both of those are using space. Done so online banking transactions, that's using space. Hopefully you haven't needed a blue light service so far today, but it'll be getting food to the supermarkets in time is using space services and data, for example. But we work right across anything you can really think of, everything from reducing the amount of pesticides and fertilizers that are put into the ground by identifying from space which parts of fields need the pesticides and services and then integrating that with precision location data so that the sprays turn off and on at the right times in fields. We're working in the sports sector, we're working with a really exciting company who are looking to provide very fast turnaround images from sporting events which are location tagged. So for example if you're doing a triathlon which is taking you on a huge route then you can have photographers who are around the course and and what they can now do is they can use satellite-based communications to send the images as soon as they take them back and if you've authorised them to go to your family and friends during the event for example we could have images being sent of you at mile 11 of your half marathon that you're running direct to your family and friends so that they know where you are and how you're doing for example and they can be happening in in very much quicker time than what happens now we're working in the building sector to improve health and safety for workers in buildings so that if they are lone working for example the others around them know where they are but not only for the health and safety aspect of that but when you're in the building trade if you are a kitchen fitter or somebody who is an electrician or doing the small jobs as a property is developed for example on a large-scale building site what we can now do is you can take images of the work that you've done that will be both time stamped and geolocated to say I've, I've done the kitchen in property number 16 here's the image of it being done here's the time stamp and so you as a subcontractor can get paid more quickly which has a huge impact on the little guys who are working in those big chain of development that happen there. 
We work in the insurance sector so that, for example, where there has been a disaster, where you can take satellite imagery of a road or a street from a week ago and compare it to the road or the street 10 days later, and you can see that the property has been damaged, or you can see that, yes, there was a major fire, or that the landslide did ha hit that street, and therefore you don't have to wait for the loss adjusters to go out and see everything. They can immediately say, yes, we can see that your property has been impacted, which improves the provision for both the insurance company, but also for the person who's ha already had a major disaster hit their home, for example, or their business, that you can then get that evidence and that data very quickly so that you can turn around the payments to allow them to get back on with their daily lives. So we, we're working across almost every aspect of people's lives, both in business and in their personal lives, to improve the services, to improve the opportunities and to make lives easier and better as, as well we can. And you're a great advocate for it as well, Emily. I, I think it's I think it's really exciting that all of this happens. And it's one of the challenges actually I set myself with my sons during lockdown was to try and live without satellites for about an hour. And it was great because we read books and we went in the garden and we played games together, but I couldn't look at a weather forecast and I couldn't get some food out the fridge and we couldn't go out and do Pokemon Go. And there were loads of things we couldn't do when you suddenly sit there and go, this is what we're using satellites for every day. So it's quite fun. Emily, could you tell us about the agency's satellite competition uh, and what that's about and how that was set up? So one of the other parts of my job that I love is that every so often I get asked or I find myself um, invited to go to schools or education groups or whatever to talk about what satellites do. And I went along to a school five years ago now and held up a variety of things that had to do with space and said, what's this? What's this and what's it got to do with space? And I held up a sat nav. And of the 120 7 to 11 year olds that I held it up in front of, all of them knew what it was. And then I said, what's it got to do with space? And a handful of them could identify that a sat nav used satellites to identify where they needed to go and how they needed to get there, despite the fact it's got satellite in the title because they always just called it a sat nav. And I came away from that both brilliantly inspired but also horrified that these young people were using satellite data and services and had no idea that they were using them and I sat there and I went hang on a second these are bright young children I've got in front of me and they are entrepreneurs and innovators of the future I want them involved in the space sector but hang on a second they have no idea what this sector is what can I do to change that? And I talked to a few people and we came up with the concept of the satellite competition, which is about getting young people from 11 to 21 involved in coming up with ideas for how satellites can improve their lives here on Earth. And we've run it for a few years now and some of the ideas that have come through have been absolutely cracking. A, a band which you can wear on your wrist at the beach that says, I am a, a novice an, or a medium or an experienced swimmer or surfer and having that geolocation tagged so that if the light and the lifeguards would have access to this data. And so if they saw somebody who was a novice swimmer being taken out in a riptide, they'd immediately go out and pick them up. Whereas if they saw someone who was an experienced surfer going out in a riptide, they'd know they were using that riptide to access the bigger waves at the back of the beach. People who are using air quality sensors on pin badges on their school bags to help their colleagues at school find their way 
in the boat with the best air quality to and from school that day. People have come up with ideas of of how to use drones for healthcare providers. And actually, one of the companies who are doing a project uh, with the COVID situation using drones came from the satellite competition. They were med students when they applied to the competition a few years ago, and they're now going on to deliver that in a reality. People who are using satellites to identify how they can rescue people in emergency scenarios. These young people have come up with ideas and concepts which are fantastic and they really are the next generation of space professionals, space entrepreneurs and it's a real opportunity to bring those young people in and to open the doors to them, to their school colleagues, to their parents, their families, their friends, their communities about what space is doing and the potential for it, not just now but also as a future career because it's for everyone. So in, in terms of advice for, I've got here for girls and women, but actually it's probably going to be the same <laughs> advice regardless of gender. But in terms of, of interested in careers in the space sector, but maybe not sure where to start, you've not got that STEM background, but you're showing that if you're interested in space, there's going to be a different route for you. Absolutely. I mean, the space sector is a little bit about astronauts, an awful lot about engineers, but also there are so many other careers. I mean, I'm a project manager by training and that's how I got into the space sector so that I can use those organisational and those planning skills and those policy skills from within government to do that. But there are careers around communications. I mean, right down to the fact that the international meetings I mentioned earlier, they're usually simultaneously translated. So, you know, there are people working in the space sector who are translating between the different international organisations that work together because space is such a collaborative environment. There are careers around logistics and planning. There are careers around communications. There are careers around design and, and looking at the different aspects of that. And so, I'm not really one for giving much advice, but the one thing I would say about the space sector is that I have yet to meet anyone working in this sector who isn't happy to support others. So reach out. If you are interested, reach out to people, be it on LinkedIn, be it through finding contact details online, be it on Twitter. There are people out there and I've yet to meet anyone who if they get a message that says, can you help me or do you know who can, who said no. Because actually it's a sector where we recognise we need to work together. And yes, there are companies who compete against each other. There are academic institutions that are pushing each other and pushing the boundaries. Yet when it comes to the crux of it, we're here to try and deliver either exploration or science or new missions or launch or applications that use space. And we work together to deliver the best outcomes. So, Emily, we have come to the, the, the final question, which is what is coming up next for you and what are you excited about? <laughs> I am excited about the growing opportunities in this sector. I'm excited about the fact that space is becoming more and more mainstream. I'm excited about the partnership we've now got with Hampshire Hospitals Together, looking at how we can build the hospital of the future. We're working with them to look at one of these 40 new hospitals that the government has promised and how we can make that space enabled right from the word go. I'm excited about some work we've got coming up, which is looking at how we can better support young entrepreneurs in the space sector. We're looking at how we can do things with electric cars, for example, and really build on integrating space safe service into, in, into electric cars. And I'm excited about seeing more and more 
diverse people coming into the space sector, both within the UK Space Agency and across the sector, because the UK is an excellent place to come and work in the space sector because it's growing all the time. But what I am seeing more and more over the last five years is that people are coming from a variety of backgrounds. People are coming from different parts of the country. People are coming from different ethnicities, from different language backgrounds and across the gender divide as well. And it doesn't matter because if you've got a good idea in this sector, the idea speaks for itself. And so I'm really excited about seeing all of those different people and those different concepts coming through to fruition. I had one of my most brilliant meetings this week when a company who I'd first worked with in 2018 came to give their final presentation of a project that they were doing. And it's a healthcare project. It's about air quality and it's about working with patients, usually with COPD and other lung conditions on how they can improve their healthcare outcomes by doing exercise and walking in areas which have better air quality. And it's about at home monitoring and making them confident in looking after their condition. And there are hundreds of patients involved in this trial and almost all of them have reported improved healthcare outcomes. And that's brilliant. But also better than that, from my perspective, because my job's all about growing the space sector, they're also bringing in revenues. And so we've got a space company who are now turning commercial and we've got patients who have got better healthcare outcomes all delivering together. And for me, it's things like that that get me excited because it's a win-win for everybody. And I'm really hopeful of seeing more of that in the future. Well, would it be okay, Emily, for us to keep in touch with you moving forward and you can share all, all the exciting things that are coming up with the audience? I'd be delighted. Oh. So, Emily, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. Love hearing about what you're doing. Love hearing about your work. Absolutely. It's been a delight talking to you. Thank you very much. That was fun. Hello, my name is Ines Santos. I am the Associate Editor of Womanology, and I am here to tell you all about our new issue, Women in Space. The stories include engineer and deputy director of the Australian National University Advanced Instrumentation and Technology Centre, Celine de Orgeville, shares the work she is doing to help clean up space using her knowledge of optics, photonics and laser physics. Dr. Craig Brown, vice president of major programs at Satisfy, talks about his company role and more widely his role as an equity, diversity and inclusion champion for the space sector. He explains about intersectionality and why treating diversity in a non-intersectional way would be an oversimplification that would hamper our progress. Joan Melendez Misner is an aerospace integration engineer from NASA and a part-time science communicator. Joan tells us about the missions she is working on for NASA at the moment, including the space probe known as DART, which stands for the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. 
We also hear from Dr. Claudia Antolini, who runs Tiger in STEM, an inclusion group for UK-based STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths, and medicine, research professionals, and students passionate about improving equality, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility. She also shares the way working internationally has changed her perspective on her work. Dr. Haley Eversking is a German-based scientist and marine applications expert who explains why understanding the oceans is key to understanding our planet and how using satellites allows this. She also explains why diversity is important everywhere, but particularly so in fields that require complex problem solving, like the space sector. Finally, we'll share the story of Naomi Rogani, a planetary atmospheric physics PhD student at the University of Leicester. Her research involves using the Spitzer Space Telescope infrared spectrometer to investigate the ice giant planets, Uranus and Neptune. Do check out our website, womanphology.co.uk, to read the full stories. And that is all from me. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also subscribe. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode, which is about women in maths. For now, take care and stay safe.